this is Brian Lane, lead pastor of FAM Church, and this is our podcast. On Sunday, we had missionaries Wayne and Tammy Brown join us to talk about what is happening in Thailand, where they serve as missionaries. Well, good morning, FAM Church. We are so excited to be here with you this morning, and, and I'll tell you why, because you guys have been a major part of our work in Thailand. See, over the course of the years, we've had more than 400 churches, individuals, ministries who've become a part of and invested in our our work there. But did you know FAM Church rates among the top churches of all of our supporters across the USA who support our work in Thailand? (laughs) Praise God. And so we just want to begin by saying a heartfelt thank you to you for that ongoing, consistent support. Your monthly giving to the missions program here at FAM Church is what makes that possible. Not just for us, but for the dozens of other missionaries that you guys support out of this church. So please, hear our heart when we say thank you for your support and continue to do what you've been doing because you're having an eternal difference in the lives of people around the world who otherwise would never have an opportunity to come to know Jesus. Now, we want to tell you all about our ministry in Thailand. I mean, like every bit of it. And, and I could go on for literally hours and not even scratch the surface. But I have a feeling in about 35 minutes, everybody's going to be ready for lunch. So instead of that, let me show you a short video. We've got a 90-second video that'll give you a really good overview of what we do in Thailand, and then we'll pick up from there. Well, on the video, you might have noticed some college students playing with some Thai kids. That's the program that we have been the directors of for the last nine years. Um, It's called the Asia Pacific Student Abroad Initiative. Well, that's pretty long. And sometimes I forget all the words in the right order. (laughs) I had to think just now. So we call it APSI. So when we refer to APSI, that is the program that we're talking about. Now, APSI is where... um, uh, AG uh, 
colleges send over their students. So we're talking like Southeastern, um, Sagu, Evangel, and many others. So they come over for roughly four months, and they spend day-to-day with the missionaries and us. And so there, they're learning uh, through classes, uh, missiology, which uh, Wayne and many of the other missionaries teach them. And they also learn Thai. And Thai is really hard to learn. And definitely in the four months that they're there, they're just scratching the surface. But, yeah, <laughs> so um, even me, I've been there nine years, and Thai is very, very hard. Um, so they also, though, spend 20 to 30 hours a week in ministry. And ministry with us, the Brown family, but we also put them with other missionaries so they get a good variety of what's happening in the mission field. Because all us missionaries don't do the same thing. We do one thing the same, and that's to tell people about Jesus. But the methods that we use is different, so we try to give them a little bit of variety. One of the methods I use is going to a special needs church uh, school there in Thailand. And I've been there for the last nine years, and Rebecca goes with me, and so do the Apsai students. And there we reach out to the children and, and play about once a week, but we really are trying to reach the teachers there. See, Thailand is a Buddhist country, and Wayne will tell you a little bit more about that. But one of the ways that we help them is through English. And so we help them with English because people in Thailand can make three times more money if they know a little English. And so it's an important for people there. And so recently, we, after being there nine years, I decided that um, instead of just doing English, we would use stories from the Bible to help them practice their English because most of my teachers are in the in intermediate stage. And so we started with the book of um, story of Ruth. And for Thailand, that really reaches to their heart because in Thailand there's a hierarchy to the family and the grandparents and the parents are very revered and, and very important to the family structure. And so when they were reading the story in English, they just thought it was a story about a woman named Ruth. And so they're reading, and they notice that she stays with her mother-in-law, even though that's not her country. And so that resonated. They actually stopped reading, and they're like, wait, this is so Thai. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, it's very Thai, but it's also very Christian. So see, now we're connecting the two worlds together by stories in the Bible. And so we can't wait to get back and to go into that more deeply with other stories with them. And the other students, they also work in things like teaching English in the slums. They also do um, compassion outreach by taking rice to people that have uh, been in different situations like um, floods and displacement and work income and things like that. And we also, the outside students use their ministry, their gifts that God has given them. They're actually kind of surprised because we ask them, what is your hobby? What is your passion? And they'll say things like basketball and sewing and music and dance, things like that. We're like, well, we're going to teach you how to use those gifts here in ministry. One guy actually was a skateboarder. And he's like, well, skateboarding's my thing, but... That can't be used for God, can it? And actually, we told him, yes, that's all we need to do. And he figured it out how to do it. So he found skate parks there in Thailand. 
he actually kept go out his first week and I kept saying don't you need a translator and he's like oh Tammy skateboarders speak the same language no matter where they are we speak skateboard and so he actually went out to several different places in the four months and he actually helped be a part of planning a church in one of the areas that he was. And so when the pastor, Thai pastor, saw that there were people wanting to know more about Christ because of this, this abscise student, they actually planted a church. And out of that, four people have come to Christ at, when he was still there in Thailand during those four months. So God is working through the abscise students using their talents. Amen. Thank you, Tammy. We are truly blessed to be in the nation of Thailand. It's a difficult place, folks. I, I, I won't try to, to sugarcoat it at all. Thailand is the second largest Buddhist country in the world, right behind China. Now, when you got 1.6 billion people, you can be the biggest at a lot of things. So aside from China, Thailand is the, is the largest Buddhist country in the world. It is one of the most intensely Buddhist countries in the world, meaning by percentage of population, the, the number of people who are Buddhist, who consider themselves Buddhist, is a very high percentage among the top in the world. And it is without question the most gospel-resistant Buddhist country on the face of the earth. Missionaries have been working there for, wow, almost 200 years now. And in that time frame, only about a half a million people have come to Christ. In fact, over most of Thailand, 80,600 towns and villages across the country, Mulberry would be considered a town. Bradley Junction would be considered a village. Of those 80,600 towns and villages, only about 3,500 have any church presence have any Christians present among them. This means that, you know, more than 80, more, I'm sorry, more than 96% of the country has no Christian witness whatsoever. I've got a map, I've, I think we got a map, that will show you a little bit of what this might look like. You see up there in the far north and, and, and northwest, where it's green, that's where the Christians are. Over half of all the Christians in Thailand live in that far north and northwest. The challenge is they're not Thai people. For the most part, they're tribal people who fled the 60-year-long civil war in Myanmar and fled the intense Christian persecution that happens there and came over to Thailand. In fact, in many of those areas, the government won't even count them in the statistics because they're not Thai people. Among the Thai people, less than one-third of one percent profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Here, here's what that might mean in practical terms. If you live in one of those red areas up there, and you see most of that map is red. If you live in that 96% of the country, 96% of the towns and villages where there is no Christian witness, you are almost four times more likely to be struck by lightning than you are to meet a Christian ever in your lifetime. How heartbreaking is that? Do you know it's almost as heartbreaking here in Mulberry? It's almost as heartbreaking here in Central Florida. Joe Barner Research did a study not too long ago about church attendance. And what they found in Florida is that on average, 14% of 
of the population of Florida is in church on a Sunday morning. Eighty-six percent have something else that's more important. There's, I guess, roughly 23, 24,000 people that live in this kind of greater Mulberry area. Can you, can you have a greater Mulberry area? I don't think so. <laughs> Mulberry, Willow Oak, Bradley Junction, you, you, you follow what I'm saying? I mean, it even goes up like, you know, I guess if you're on this side of Shepherd Road, you're considered to be part of Mulberry. I used to live in Imperial Lakes way, way back. And we were at Mulberry, went to Mulberry High School. 33, 34,000 people here. There's probably two or three dozen churches in that greater Mulberry area. What does that tell us? Well, if we've reached everybody in Mulberry, every church has 800 or more people in it this morning. Let that sink in. In Thailand, 96% of the country has never been reached with the gospel even once. It's the last region of the world where the gospel has yet to be proclaimed a first time. Yes, there are desperately unreached places in the Middle East, but 2,000 years ago in the first and second century, maybe even third century of the church, Christianity spread across the Middle East, across southern and, and western Europe, across northern Africa. In the, in beyond, beyond that, in, the, in, you know, in, our, in our current you know, pre, previous millennial, Christianity spread to all of the Americas and across to many of the Pacific Islands, into China, into, into Southern Asia. Southeast Asia, Thailand in particular, was never conquered by a colonial power. Now, while we don't, I don't condone colonialism, but with, with all the colonials that came over came the witness of the gospel. Thailand never had that. Throughout its entire history, there has never been a proclamation of the gospel. The people there are never reached unless somebody, ooh, somebody with beautiful feet. Pastor, I was watching them when they came in today. We got a church full of beautiful feet here. I need workers for the harvest in Thailand, folks. <laughs> And we got a church full of beautiful feet. We need workers for the harvest here in Mulberry. And guess what? We have a church filled with beautiful feet. Guess what that means, folks? You are all qualified. You are all qualified. If you have Jesus living in your heart, if you have proclaimed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are qualified to therefore go and make disciples. Of all nations, all towns, all villages. See, there's hope for the people in Thailand. Something amazing has begun to happen there. You know, as I mentioned, for nearly 200 years, missionaries have been laboring with very, very little fruit among the Thai, the Thai people, very few coming to Christ among the Thai people. Thailand is known as a missionary graveyard. People come, they serve, but the majority of them either quit at the end of their first term, many of them will quit before their first term is up, and they go back home. We've lost far too many, even within our, within our Assemblies of God movement, who have come and, and served once and left, or didn't even finish their first term and left, because it is so intensely difficult. The darkness that exists there, the spiritual battleground is so real. And yet, 
something amazing is happening. In the last two years, there has been an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, an awakening to who Jesus is that we have never seen before in Thailand. In two provinces up in north-central Thailand, in Picha and Pachabum, between them, they've probably got a million, million, two people. Two, two and a half years ago, they had a handful of churches, maybe a hundred or two Christians among all that population. The king of Thailand, who had served for more than 70 years, passed away. And the nation went into this deep state of mourning. And as part of this deep state of mourning, all public assemblies were officially banned. There was a little church up there in that region, a little village, and they had planned to do a big Christmas celebration. They had already raised their funds as a congregation. They had bought all their supplies to do the Christmas outreach, and suddenly all public assemblies were banned. So the pastor gathered his, his congregation together, and they began to pray and seek the Lord for what they would do, and they decided they would, they would, do, their, they would do their Christmas program, but they would do it in individual homes. And so they were, they'd go to people, they already visit people for, for prayer time and going through the neighborhoods and praying, and when they go, they say, hey, can we do our Christmas outreach here in your home? Because people in that community had come to expect the Christmas outreach from the church. They'd been doing it for more than a dozen years. And, and the church wanted to do it because during each of those outreaches, they, they would always get one, two, maybe three people who would make a decision to follow Jesus. But this time, they were prohibited from going out. And so instead of going out, they went in. They went into people's homes. They shared about Jesus. They shared the story of Christmas. They shared everything that they would have shared in the public assembly, but they shared it as a group of friends meeting together. In some cases, as a, as a family, for the first time, meeting together to discuss the gospel. When the Christmas season was over, they gathered back together at the church to tally up what had happened. And what had happened during that time frame is this collection of, of a few dozen workers for the harvest going out into homes, and instead of doing a big, big, big public assembly where they'd get two or three, maybe four people make a decision for Christ, when they got done, they had over a hundred decisions for Christ. They had people, let's give God the glory. They had people wanting to study the Bible and learn more about Jesus, and they began to do home cell group meetings and to have time of Bible study and prayer in the homes. And, and as they would go into a home and they set up and they start doing this, they were training up their own congregation how to go out and how to make disciples. And as they would train them, they would go out into these homes and train these new converts how to go out and make disciples. And then as they were learning the stories of the Bible, they would say, now, now you go tell your friends. You go tell your neighbors. You go tell your co-workers. You see, they didn't wait until they went off to four years of Bible school and got ordained and, and then went off and got their master's degree and came back so that they could teach. They, they took these brand new Christians right where they were at and they taught them the stories of the Bible. And they said, now you go share this with somebody you love. You go share this with somebody you want with you for all eternity in heaven. And you know what they did? Folks, it's absolutely amazing. They went out and did it. Now let's fast forward two years. Last Sunday in January, there was a public baptism service in, in Petroban, one of the two provinces where all this has been happening. Now you have to understand, in Christianity, all religion is legal. We have absolute freedom of religion. 
But switching from one religion to another will bring intense social persecution into your life. Families will, get kick, will kick their loved ones out. Uh, jobs will fire people. Landlords will evict people. So if you switch from being Buddhist to being Christian, you're going to get intense persecution. In January, 520 people made a public profession of faith on the shores of the lake, on the edge of the biggest city in the province, where everyone could see that they were professing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That was, they do this quarterly. Just in the last six months, nearly 1,000 people have been publicly baptized. In the two years since all this started, two years and three months now, nearly 12 thousand people have made decisions to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. These little home churches with nothing more than people who have a passion for this new salvation they've experienced going out and sharing it with their friends have started a movement, an awakening, a fire of the Holy Spirit that is burning bright in central Thailand and has now not only garnered attention nationally, but next month will be the cover story of Christianity Today. And with that, we'll probably bring the intense government persecution that we've all feared. And so I'm real excited that what we're doing has caught people's attention. But the reality is we still need beautiful feet for the nation of Thailand and for the Thai people. And so my petition, my urge to you, church, is to stand with us in prayer. Stand against the efforts that the enemy would have to derail this awakening that is happening in Thailand. Stand with us, not, not just today or tomorrow, but stand with us every day. Pick up one of our prayer cards from the table as you leave today and put it up somewhere you'll remember. And not just praying for the Brown family, but praying for these new believers in Thailand. We are believing with all we have within us that this is just the start. And when we get back, one of my first efforts, working with a couple of other missionaries, we're going to begin a program in Nakonayok. Nakonayok is about an hour drive from our campus. It's reasonable for us to work in. At the current time, there is one church out of a quarter million people with about 30 Christians in it. We are going to take some folks from one of our local Assembly of God churches that we have been working with for the past nine years. They're going to be going up. They're actually going to relocate to Nakonayok, and they're going to begin this process of loving people to Jesus. Folks, how many understand loving people to Jesus is easy? Because every single human being on the face of the earth has within them, within their DNA, the urge and the nurture that God put in them to call out to Him. And they just need somebody to lovingly guide them to the reality of what that call, what that need within them is, and how it can be fulfilled through the gospel. Now, it's, I, 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 won't, I won't sugarcoat it. It's hard. It's intense. We are battling in the prime battlegrounds of the enemy. I've told you about all the, the people who come and go, how Thailand is called a, a, you know, a missionary graveyard, and how few, few conversions we've had. We've had other pockets of 
outpouring, other pockets of awakening that have happened in Thailand, and within a few months, they've been squished by the persecution. So where does our hope come from in this? What makes us think that this will continue this time? Well, I got to confess. See, I, I read the story and I got to the end of the book, and it, it tells me we win. It, 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 it's right, you see all the highlights? I love to highlight my Bible. <laughs> we win. No question about it, it's there. We win. And how do we win? Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 through 11. It says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was their place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Folks, this is the same devil that today goes to and fro around the world, finding who he can accuse, going before the throne of God, accusing believers all over the place, trying to get God to turn his anger against his people. He is going to be cast out. He is going to be defeated. In fact, we have the power today to defeat the influence of the enemy by following the same model we find here in Revelation. And that is continued on in verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before God day and night, has been cast down. How? And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. The blood of the Lamb where have we heard of that before? It goes all the way back, folks, to the, the first Passover. It goes all the way back to the time when God's chosen people were, were in captivity in, in Egypt, and, and that you know the, 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 the Lord was working the multitude of plagues against a hardened-hearted Pharaoh, and we're finally down to the last of the plagues, and that is the death of the firstborn male of any mammal offspring. All the firstborn among the cattle, firstborn among the people, the firstborn male struck dead in one night, except, except for those who had taken the blood of a sacrificial lamb and applied it to their doorpost. It was the blood of the lamb that brought salvation to those firstborn male. They were not slaughtered that night along with the others. It was that act that brought freedom for God's chosen people. Now, now fast, forward, fast forward a little bit of time to, to the time of Christ. What is one of the names that we use to describe Christ? One of the names for our Lord is the Lamb of God, whose blood was shed as he was nailed to that cross, thorns in his head, spikes in his hands and feet, a spear thrust into his side, the blood of Jesus, 
the blood of the Lamb of God didn't just cause a pass, you know, a, a, a death angel to pass over your house. The blood of this Lamb covers any and every sin of those who believe in God without exception. The blood of this Lamb is the only blood that brings salvation to those who believe and follow our Lord. This blood... This blood of the Lamb of God has the power to defeat the enemy in our lives. Not just sometime in the future. Folks, this blood of Jesus has the power to defeat the enemy in our lives right now. Right now. The Thai people in Picha and Pachuban are suddenly becoming aware that they don't have to worry about reliving a thousand lives through reincarnation and going through a thousand cycles of suffering and still never being able to reach their version of salvation. They suddenly realize the lies that they have been told for centuries will give them nothing. They suddenly have discovered that there is a lamb who has made a sacrifice that pays for all of their karma. They no longer have to worry about their sin. In Thai, we call it bop. And the bop sefoi, bop, the bop, the sin of the Thai people is gone when they fall under the blood of the lamb. And when they realize this, this massive awakening that's happening, this spark of outpouring that's happening in Thailand, this flame of the gospel that, that frankly, at the rate it's going, will, within the next 10, 20 years, envelop the entire Southeast Asia region of the world. This blood of the Lamb is defeating an enemy that has stood undefeated for multiple, multiple millenniums. For thousands upon thousands of years, the enemy has had as his, his heart ground, his homeland, Southeast Asia. Entrenched in animism, entrenched in Hinduism, entrenched in the most oldest, harshest form of Buddhism on the face of the earth. And today, the enemy is falling because of the blood of the Lamb. Now, in a country of 68 million people, 11,000 coming to Christ in two years doesn't sound like a lot. But what you have to understand is that in any other two-year period before that, there might have been 1,100 that came to Christ in that same time frame. We are seeing a manifold, multiplied growth in people who are encountering the gospel, people who are discovering who Jesus Christ is. There are not enough workers for the harvest to take this to the next level. And so as you pray for this outpouring, as you pray for these people that are coming to Christ, would you also please pray for laborers for the harvest? Pray that God would send workers who are willing to give it all in order to see people all across Thailand. We need workers. I need Two or three workers who will move to Nikon Nayok, where we're going to start this outreach, who will base there permanently, who will be the source of the gospel and training for those new believers on a consistent and ongoing basis. Now, now let me tell you, it doesn't require an advanced degree in theology. I don't have one. Working on one, it's a hard work. But I don't have one. I have a degree in finance. 
that's not your typical missionary degree, is it? I've got a friend who's got a degree in pharmaceuticals. He's a pharmacist and a missionary. I've got a friend who's an auto mechanic and a missionary. I've got a friend over there who owned an Amco transmission service company and was a missionary to Thailand for 25 years. See, this is the myth the devil tells us. The devil tells us we can't be workers for the harvest unless we're pastors or missionaries. The devil wants us to believe that we don't know enough to be able to tell other people about Jesus. Well, what did Revelation, what did this say? How did they overcome the enemy? Yes, by the blood of the Lamb. That was the first application of overcoming that happened. But what was the second? What does the Scripture say? By the blood of the Lamb and the... Ooh, these guys know the Scripture. I'm impressed by the word of our testimony. How many of you got a testimony? Oh, like this. I should, almost every hand up, every hand of every believer should be up. Because I got to tell you something. God has done something in your life. Now, you may not have started out where I started out. When you talk about a depraved, gutter-ridden individual, I was probably the picture in the dictionary if you were to look that up. Addicted to drugs and alcohol, finding no value or worth whatsoever in my life, driving my wife and our, then, then t- that time our, our only son, our only child, to worry and wonder about their husband and their father. I had totally rejected God as a teenager, grew up in a Baptist background, knew who Jesus was, knew what the gospel was, totally rejected God, said, I have no need for you, I'm going to go out and have fun. Now, how many of you know God's a gentleman? If you tell him you don't want to be around him, he's going to just let you go. Okay? Now, my mama, to her credit, never stopped praying for me, never stopped encouraging me. She constantly kept, in a very loving way, kept the Word of God in front of me every time I would talk to her. Now, there are times I went long stretches without talking to her because I just didn't want to hear it. I didn't want the conviction in my life. And then I'd get homesick, and I'd call her from Texas and say, Mama, I need you. Mama, I'm messed up. Mama, I'm losing everything. And she'd love on me. She'd pray for me. She'd remind me that Jesus loves me. One Tuesday morning in July, I was still messed up from the party the night before. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit came on me in a way. All I can tell you, folks, is I I had no other reason to believe anything other than I was being confronted with my last decision opportunity in my life. I don't know what that means. I don't know that that means that the Lord is just going to finally give up on me or that, that he was going to take me out of this issue, out of, my, out of this world. But I knew that if I didn't make a decision right then, that I wasn't going to have another opportunity to. On that Tuesday morning in San Marcos, Texas, in my apartment, by myself, I went to my knees And as best as I could remember from those Sunday school classes in that little Baptist church in upstate South Carolina, I began to cry out to God. I asked him, I asked him to forgive me. I knew I'd done wrong. I asked him to, 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 I told him, I take back what I said about not believing in you. I take back what I said about not wanting to be with you. I need you right now. I need you in my life. I said, I can't beat this addiction. I need you to clean me up right now. Folks, We serve a really loving God. 
Because he had every reason in the world to kick me and say, you get what you deserve. But instead, he put his arms around me. And he lifted me up off that floor. The floor that I went down to still messed up and stoned from the party in the night before. And he took me up off that floor clean and sober without one minute of addiction withdrawal. Supernaturally delivered from bondage that the enemy had impaled me with and delivered from that. And immediately the Spirit drew me to get dressed, get showered, and go out and go down and find a church. Now, this is on a Tuesday morning. There's not a whole lot of churches doing anything on a Tuesday morning. I didn't know where there was a church in town. I just felt, I really felt within my spirit. We live just off of Interstate 35 in San Marcos, Texas. I got on the frontage road, not even on the interstate, and I just felt the Lord telling me to go down the road. And before I drove a half a mile, there is this teeny tiny church made of rocks. It looked like they cleared the land and picked up all the rocks when they were clearing it and used it to build the church. And when I say teeny tiny, I mean, folks, this stage is bigger than the whole church was. I walk into this little church, and I introduce myself to the pastor. He's Pastor Gary, and he said hello to me, and it's like, I still look rough, you know? And he said, well, so what can I do for you? I explained to him what happened to me. I said, I don't know what to do next. He says, I want you to go down to the Christian bookstore. I want you to get yourself a Bible. I want you to get yourself a topical Bible because you're going to have a lot of questions come to mind. He said, I want you to learn to look to Scripture for every question you have before you look to man. And then when you need to look to man, you come to me and we're going to talk through it. And he began me on a process of discipleship. It's led me to where I'm at today. I still follow that same prescription that, that Pastor Gary gave me all those many years ago. I look to the Word of God and I ask, Lord, what should I be doing in this situation? Now, folks, when I tell this story in Northeast Thailand, in the region known as Isan, in the most drug-addicted region of Thailand, where methamphetamine, ice, cocaine, marijuana, because it's an agricultural area, there's high work during the planting season, high work during the harvest season, and nothing in between. And it's mostly among men that are bored, young men from 13, 14 years old, all the way up to, to, to men much older than me, that are addicted. When I tell this story in Thailand, eyes get wide open. Everyone I tell it to either themselves is going through addiction or has a loved one that's going through addiction. My story of how God delivered me from my addictions resonates today with the very people he has put me with. And every time I tell it, people want to know who Jesus is. They want to know who this Jesus is that can deliver somebody from drugs and alcohol. How many of you dealt with illness? How many of you had God intervene in your life in the area of illness? I see a few hands going up supernaturally healed and delivered from cancer. My doctor gave me less than a year to live. That was in 2008. Clearly, he was wrong. I am totally, completely cleared and cured of, of cancer in a way that my doctor could not explain. I left, I left from his office one day with a CT scan up that showed an out-of-control cancer growth that had broken through chemotherapy. I came back a month later with another CT scan that showed a hole in my body where the tumor was cut just outside the margins of the tumor like a surgeon would do it, but no surgical entry and exits in my body. 
Each and every one of you have a story in your life of how God has done something for you. Even if it's a mild story, everything, when you think about meeting out and reaching with people who are unreached, people reaching with people who aren't in the church yet. How do we connect? And we don't connect them by beating them over the head of their sin. Let me tell you something, folks. I've been there. Sinners know they're sinners. They don't need to be reminded that they're sinners. But they do need to be reminded that even though they're sinners, there's a God who loves them so much that he has already taken care of all of their bop, of all of their sin. And all they have to do to get rid of that bop to get rid of that sin, to get rid of that bad karma, as we call it in Thailand. All they have to do is trust in God. Believe in Jesus. Believe that Jesus is his son. Believe he died to pay the price for those sins. And follow him and follow his teachings and his commands. And it's the follow his teachings and his commands that I want to finish with today. Because we've all been instructed, not just the apostles, not just the disciples, not just your pastors and missionaries in the church, but all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus have been given the commission, the command to go and make disciples. Now, I firmly believe it starts in our family. We have an obligation, those of you who are like Tammy and I, our parents, we have an obligation as parents to teach our children, to train our children up in the way they should go. And trust me, even when they do depart from it, it'll always be a reminder when God calls us back. My testimony, folks. But then we're to go out to our neighbors, to our workplace, in our schools, through our communities. We are to be that bright and shining light on the hill in a land filled with darkness. And at least we begin to think that the darkness only exists in Thailand. Remember this morning, 86% of the people here in Mulberry are not in church today. We have every opportunity to be the ones who defeat the enemy in this village today. We just have to have the boldness to accept the truth that the blood of the Lamb has already won the war, and that the word of our testimony will be the death nail of the devil's influence on those around us. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for FAM Church. I thank you that you have implanted within this church, Lord, an unquenchable passion for missions at home and around the world. Father God, I thank you for each member of this congregation who is here today. Father, I pray that your spirit would rest upon everyone here, Lord. Lord, that you would speak clearly to each person here. Father, if there's anyone here today who, who has not called on the name of Jesus yet, that your spirit would bring conviction to them right now. Folks, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I don't ever want to have an opportunity where the Spirit's leading me to confront people about their salvation and let it pass. So I want to ask this morning, I have a sense that there may be somebody here 
who's feeling challenged in their heart. You know your life is not right with Christ now. Maybe you've, ma maybe you've made a confession of Christ as your Lord and Savior in the past, but you're, like I did, you know you've walked away from that call. If there's anyone here like that, would you raise your hand? Just a quick acknowledgement. I see. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.